flick quickly through the books of the Bible and the chances are you'll repeatedly miss this little book of Ruth, surrounded as it is by giants, but never despise that which is little. Picture a, a hinge on a door. It's a small, unassuming thing, yet it does some heavy lifting in getting that door to turn, pivoting it through a wide sweep. Well, the book of Ruth serves as a hinge in the progress of salvation history. Here in the life of an ordinary family, we see God's purposes for all people pivoted forward to an extraordinary degree. Uh, Look there at the very first verse of this book. In the days when the judges ruled. We have a sobering record of those days in the preceding book. Everyone did as they saw fit is the constant refrain. These were days of anarchy. Look then at the very last verse of this book. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. We read in the following book of this David being anointed as king. Uh, The days ahead would be days of monarchy. A sweep of history then from anarchy to monarchy is a momentous one. And the little events of this little book of Ruth are the hinge upon which this movement turns. I say little events because in these four chapters, most of what we see is the ordinary stuff of ordinary life. At least what has been ordinary in the lives of most people in most places most of the time, as our news feeds constantly show us. Here in this 11.30 congregation, we're an amazingly diverse bunch. I'm familiar with enough of your stories to know that. Uh, There are those of us here for whom like Eli Melech, wanting the best for his family. Circumstances have dictated disruptive moves, even to a strange country. London has become your Moab. There are those of us here who, like Naomi, have been bereaved of a spouse and have struggled to adapt to life without them in a harsh world. There are those of us who, again, like Naomi, carry the whole weight of fending for and doing right by our children in a hostile culture. We can relate to the all-too-human experiences recounted for us in these verses. For what we have here is the stuff of everyday life. Whatever else we hope for life to be, It is also this. In this book of Ruth, then, we discover that it isn't the battle cries of the triumphant that pivots history forward, but rather the bitter tears of the bereft. Who would have thought it? 
Now, here's the one thing I'd like us to take hold of and hold on to this morning. The Lord will provide the bread of life at Bethlehem. At risk of you now switching off or falling asleep, I give you this up front. The Lord will provide the bread of life at Bethlehem. This book is a book about bread. And uh, that's not as mundane as it sounds. This is a book about the bread which will sustain us in severest scarcity. Fill our bitter emptiness. Satisfy our deepest hunger. We begin to appreciate this as we trace Naomi's journey here in chapter 1. Have you seen the sweep? It's this. From Bethlehem to Moab and then back to Bethlehem. From Bethlehem to Moab and then back to Bethlehem. That's quite a journey. And I'm not meaning the miles clocked up. There's far more to this than geography. Bethlehem, as the Hebrew word tells us, is the bread basket of Israel. But the first thing we're told in this book makes for troubling news. Verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. In other words, the bread basket is empty. Now, famine, whenever it occurs, doesn't always have an attributable cause, but in the days of the judges, it did. Wickedness was on the increase in the land during those days, and it reaches its height in events in and around Bethlehem, as the closing chapters of Judges make plain. Everyone saw. Everyone did as they saw fit. That was the refrain. There was a danger in that for the people of Israel. The Lord had told his people in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that if they did not obey him and follow his commands, then you will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed, and the crops of your land, and the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in, and cursed when you go out. The empty basket, the cursed kneading trough. Now in Eli Melech's day, there was famine in the land. What was this man to do? Eli Melech and certainly his wife Naomi are portrayed to us as faithful Israelites. There's no suggestion that they were complicit in the wickedness that had taken root around them. But now the bread basket was empty and the impact of that was beginning to bite. What were a faithful man and woman to do? Well... Verse 1, Eli Melech, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of 
Moab. A good decision or a bad one? It may simply be for this family, for the lack of other options open to them, that they had no real choice. But the choice is an extraordinary one. If Bethlehem was known in Israel as the place where bread was to be found, one place outside Israel where bread was known not to be found was Moab. Generations previous, before the days of the judges, before they had entered the land, during their wilderness wanderings, this people had sought hospitality in Moab. None was received. Instead, the Moabites sought to drive them out with a curse. So, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, we read, No Ammonite or Moab or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation, for they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. It truly is an extraordinary journey that the family of Eli Melech set out upon to move from Bethlehem to Moab is to move from a place of bread to a place of no bread, from a place of life to an inhospitable place of death. And for Naomi, Moab becomes a literal place of death within a handful of years. First, she finds herself sat at the grave of her husband. Then she finds herself sat at the graves of each of her two sons. Her hopes extinguished. What is Naomi to do? Where now can she turn? Verse 4. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. A word of life comes to her in the place of death. Naomi's movement from Bethlehem to Moab was more than a geographical relocation. Likewise, her movement from Moab to Bethlehem The recurring language of return and going back, first on Naomi's, then on Ruth's tongue, points to that. Returning home. On hearing the good news that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, Naomi's faith is rekindled. She returns home. Whatever else those years of famine had been about, the Lord had now shown that he is both willing and able to provide bread for those who come to him and trust him to provide for them. Naomi has been away a while. Now going back to Bethlehem, she is returning both to the land and returning to her God 
Naomi is returning home in this double sense. We glimpse that in what Naomi says to the women of Bethlehem there in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, that may not strike us as particularly faithful talk. And her attempts to interpret the sweep of recent events may not be entirely on the mark. But notice who sits at the center of her lament. The Lord, the Almighty himself. She's there to do business with him. Naomi's faith is being rekindled, but it hasn't yet been reignited. That's good news of the Lord providing bread for his people. That news needs to translate into news of him providing bread for bitter Naomi. Bread that will sustain and fill and satisfy her personally. Will the Lord provide? I've already given you the spoiler. The Lord will provide the bread of life in Bethlehem. But what is likely to surprise us is the way he chooses to do that. He will provide the bread for Naomi through Ruth. Salvation will come to this Israelite through a Moabite. Yes, through precisely one of those who were not meant to enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. It isn't incidental that this book is called Ruth and not, say, Naomi. Indeed, our focus should be on Ruth herself if we're to come to fully appreciate the way in which the events of this book serve as that hinge in salvation history. What will unfold in the following chapters will certainly lead us to look upon Naomi's journey in a new light. Is it possible... Is it possible that Eli Melech's going to live in Moab was in the end all about Ruth being brought back to live in Bethlehem? For Ruth to be brought out of a place of death into a place of life. Well, certainly it is through Ruth that we will discover how the Lord provides the bread of life. For his people. In this uh, short sermon series, we'll see that path leads from taking refuge in him, being redeemed by faith in him, and then finding rest in him. Refuge, redemption, and rest. But it all begins with returning to him 
here in chapter 1. Look there at verse 16. Ruth says to Naomi, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now, the Israelites and the Moabites weren't always enemies. They emerged from the same family. Way back in Genesis uh, chapter 13, we read of Abraham and his nephew Lot. Presenting circumstances led to them separating and becoming estranged from one another. Abraham and his children went one way. Lot and his children went another. Lot became the father of Moab and went his very separate way. But now, all these centuries later, in the way in which Ruth binds herself to Naomi, the long estrangement between Abraham and Lot is finally overcome. You see, this chapter isn't only concerned with Naomi's return, it is equally concerned with Ruth's return to Bethlehem. How can you return to a place you've never been? We might have expected Naomi's return, but who of us saw this return coming? Ruth, no longer Naomi's enemy, but her dearest friend, is returning home. It's been a long way round, and she's returning confident that even death will not be able to separate them again. The significance of this will escalate through this book, through this book and far beyond it. In that generation, salvation will come to this family through the Israelite and the Moabite bound together. In the third generation, salvation will come to this nation through a baby born in Bethlehem of both Israelite and Moabite blood. One who doesn't only enter the assembly of the Lord, but who will sit on the throne of Israel. Then some 14 or more generations later still, Salvation will come to the whole earth through a baby born in Bethlehem. Who, by naming Ruth in his genealogy, we know has both Israelite and Moabite blood. The one who now sits on the throne of heaven. Friends, in those times of scarcity, and emptiness, and deep hunger that all of us at times know only too well. Where do we look for bread? Bread that will truly sustain, fill, 
and satisfy. For each of us, there is a Moab. The promise here in Ruth is that the Lord will provide the bread in Bethlehem. But the promise for us here today, much further on in the progress of salvation history, is that the Lord has now provided the bread of life in Bethlehem once and for all. Whether or not we've been there before, the invitation that has run all through this morning together is the invitation to return to Jesus Christ, to the baby who was laid in the feeding trough at Bethlehem, who grew to be the king, who today says to each of us, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is our bread basket. Our return to him leads on to taking refuge, being redeemed, and finding rest in him. But that's uh, getting ahead of ourselves. In Jesus Christ alone, we have the bread that we all need to sustain, fill, and satisfy the weary traveler. Naomi and Ruth, you and me. Amen.